Every year about this time, we get a chance to look closely at the story. And throughout the course of the, of the magnitude of what we'll be studying for the next several weeks as we just march through this holiday season, you'll understand that we're going to be looking at some key things, questions that we have to answer. And one of the reasons that we gather, and a big part of everything that you need to do and all that you'll do in your whole life is you'll constantly be asking us just one question about every single thing you're doing. And that is, why are we doing this? Why, why does this matter? Why is this important? And today we'll ask this question, why is he coming? And we'll answer that question, hopefully, as we look to the Scriptures. So I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 1. Familiar verses for certain, but I hope we can read it again. And I oftentimes will tell people this. Every time you open your Bible and you look at a passage, passage that you've seen again, because this is God's Word and it's living, that there's almost this moment of like, man, I never saw that before. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that in, this, I mean, in your own reading, in your own study, but every once in a while I'll come across something I'll be like, man, I didn't, I didn't see that as clearly as I see that today. And so I tell people, read it again for the first time because you'll find that every single time God can show you something that maybe you hadn't seen before. Verse number 18 is where we will begin our reading. And if you'll stand in honor of God's word, Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18. It says here in the scriptures, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth his, her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to the scriptures and we are reminded. We are reminded that you had a, a chief and keen purpose and answers the, the question of why in our midst. Lord, some would ask, why? why we believe in the midst of a chaotic world and why we believe in the midst of, of trouble in our own lives and our own families and, and why, we, why we hold on to this. Lord, I believe that today that will be answered resoundingly because you have come to save us from our sins. I ask, Lord, that today that we would see this clearly and it would be truth in our lives and in the lives of those that we come across. We ask for this to be all of our heart's desire in Jesus' name, amen. Occasionally, you know, you get to this point where you study something frequently and you study something uh, with enough repetition that you, you have this moment where you're like, okay, this again? And there's this, this resounding picture, and each week we will look at a different aspect of this story, hoping that you'll see it in, in the representations in Matthew and, and certainly in, in, in Luke and in John, and we'll see pictures of Jesus throughout this. But one of the things that happens is that when we do this, that oftentimes we, we get to the place where we're like, 
maybe we'll tune out because we're familiar. And I hope that today you'll do exactly the opposite. I hope you'll look a little harder with me. There's something to be said. Um, I remember that, you know, in a famous quote or axiom that is taught, and that is, you know, amateurs, they, they do it until they get it right. And professionals, they do it until they can't get it wrong. Well, I hope that you would study this story well enough that you could tell it to somebody without having a Bible in front of you. And if you're not quite there yet, trust me, you're not alone. But that just means you need to pay attention extra close today. That you could get this story so familiar that you tell people and you have it right. Because I guarantee that if you went out and you just investigated in the midst of your friends and your colleagues and you asked them questions about this story, there would be much confusion and there would be much misunderstanding and there would be much misrepresentation of the truths that are here. And I, I believe that to be true because I have seen it in my own life. If you are getting your Christmas narrative from Hallmark or from social media, I challenge you to get it from the best place, the scriptures. So let's look at it together today in such a way that when you walk out of here, you will know it just a little better. Verse number 18 says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you read the Gospels, you begin to understand, and when I say the word Gospels, you understand that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and these are the foretellings of Jesus' life, the narrative of his story. But when we do this, we see this picture, we understand that in each of them, they will address, different Gospel addresses a different angle of the story. And in this one, you see specifically the Father. You see Joseph in this story. But there's something that I want you to see about the intentionality of God and, that, and something for you to hold on to, and that's point number one, is that Jesus' family was intentional. When, when I talk about this, I know I talk about this quite a bit. There's something that you need to hold on to, that when you look at this, you see this, this outline of Matthew, a born Jew who is writing to a Jewish audience, and he begins to tell this story. And there's a little bit of scandal in this story because there's a pregnancy without a marriage, and there's a picture here. One that would have been unsettling to a Jewish audience that was receiving this. And we are all familiar, by the way, of the stories that are told to us in the midst of our friend circles when something's shocking, and it's a little bit, maybe just a little juicy bit of tidbit, and you've got the inside track, and you tell somebody, and you're not thinking that it's gossip, and you're like, man, but people are hooking in. They're like, oh my, oh my. When this comes across, and this, is, this letter is open, this gospel account is retold to the audience, they're like, wait, What? It is so familiar to us that we just completely glaze over the fact that this would have been 100% shocking to the audience that was intended to read it. And it would have been unfathomable to think that anybody would proceed in a manner with this intentional family. But I want you to know that if you go back and you recall the story of your own life, which is probably, if you really were to measure it up against the gospel, would say it's not nearly as significant as what Jesus' story is about but you would say that when people began to tell you the, the details back about your own life, you would say, yeah, that's pretty shocking, and that's, there's a lot of awe, and there's a lot of juicy stuff there that people could have said about me that, that everybody would have been like, now what happened? And you begin to realize that this is a magnificent story of how God does things intentionally. You see, I believe that we were born into this world at a time where we would have the best opportunity to get the gospel. Because Jesus was born into this world at the right moment of when the world needed him most in a way that it would be possible for the most people to possibly hear about him. 
And God is very intentional. You know, if you look to the scriptures and you begin to study them, you'll understand that in Genesis you see this beautiful blueprint, and it's not a scientific explanation, but you understand that there is intelligence behind every single action that God takes in the creation account. You find that it is laid out with precision throughout the family lineages and the lines. And you understand that at every moment, it seems like this story is in peril, that there's no possible way that Jesus could be born to a family line that makes sense to all the promises that were made by the Old Testament. And I assure you that it looks that way from from the perspectives of the Jewish people. But then this happens and you're like, wait, it's happening. And you begin to see that God's plan is flawless, that he's perfect in his measure. And the intentional nature of this story is one that allows his divinity and his humanity to coexist in a way that challenges us. The birth of Jesus was as follows. His mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. That part will will make your noodle. People will say, you know, this is one of those distinctives and this is one of those moments where where we, we just draw a line in the sand. And I will tell you that I am not afraid or ashamed to draw the line in the sand that, says, that, that will say something to you like this. Yeah, this picture right here, this isn't something that mankind can do. And if you don't believe this part, it's hard to connect any of the rest of it to make sense. Because if I don't believe that God can make Mary conceive through the Holy Spirit, then I sure don't believe that he can forgive me of my sins. And if I don't believe that God can do this with Mary, then I sure don't believe that he could know my name and that he could understand my, my distance from him and that he would want to rescue me at all because he's not nearly as powerful as, as I need him to be if he can't do this. So because he can do this, I believe all of the rest of that is absolutely resoundingly true. Amen? You don't sound convinced. Some of you might be on the fence this morning. You might be a little doubtful about whether or not God can reach into your situation and transform your life. But understand, because he is intentional, he has laid out a pathway for your salvation. He has done it on that side of the story and currently today doing it right now. This is the power of God in our midst. His intentional nature is something that we should grab hold of with both hands. And the line in the sand is this. We believe in miraculous things because it takes a miraculous thing to rescue me. We see the story unfold. Verse number 19. It says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, I would like for you to say the expression just man. So I'm going, to say, I'm going to say just man again, and then you're going to repeat it. So Joseph was a just man. This is one of the highest praises that you could have in the midst of a culture, in the Jewish culture that he was at, that when you look upon him, that you see him, that he's noble in the eyes of his peers, and that the scriptures describe him as being just, being upright in behavior. Most of us, we believe that clinging on to that kind of a title is enough to see us through to eternity, to glory. We think that's enough for us to just do enough good things that when at the end and the books of the records of our life are measured by the Almighty, that he'll say, you can come to heaven, you've been just. Most of us believe that that's the testimony and the measure of what's necessary. I would suggest to you that it's nothing near what you need, and it's not ever going to be enough, and I'm not giving you an excuse to go out and be a, to, be, to be wild or reckless with your life. What I'm saying is it's not enough. But Joseph fits this characteristic of being upstanding in the testimony of Matthew's eyes. Another Jewish man looking upon a Jewish man and seeing him for what he is. It says, In not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. He wants to handle this in an upright manner. He wants to handle this with nobility and discretion. He wants to be 
dignified in the way that he manages his life and his affairs. This is the same thinking, by the way, that keeps some of us glued to the floor in the aisle at the end of the church service when Jesus begins to reach into our life and call us to come out of our lostness and into glorious light and be saved because we want to be discreet and dignified and we want to be noble and we don't know what it will look like if we walk up there and we bow down on the altar and we cry out to God and say, save us. Or We don't know what it would look like if anybody knew that we needed to talk to the pastor and say, please help me find this Jesus that the scripture talks about because you want to be a just man. And you want to just be dignified and for people to see you and respect you. And you forget that in this story that that's exactly what Joseph wanted. And in this moment, God rearranges absolutely everything. So point number two is God will rearrange our plans. But while he thought about these things, verse number 20, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, oh, before I go any further, about this moment, you are in the course of your life having had dreams about any number of things, right? I don't know about you, but sometimes I wake up because whatever I was dreaming about was exhausting. Sometimes I wake up. This morning I woke up, it's kind of foggy. I'm like, man, I worked harder last night in my sleep than I thought I was supposed to. I was supposed to feel rest, right? Anybody in here guilty of this occasionally or more than you'd like to admit, right? Um, there, there's this picture here where he's dreaming. You know, one of the things that I am oftentimes fascinated about is how much we dismiss these moments in Scripture that describe these types of events as being, as being powerful or, or intervening aspects, and we, but we completely dismiss them. You know, nobody captures this better than, in my opinion, than uh, Christmas Carol when it's written about that Ebenezer Scrooge is perceiving this, this, this message from beyond. And he says it's an, a bit of undigested, you know, dinner. If you're familiar with the story, you know, he's he trying to dismiss the fact that, that the hereafter is talking to him and saying a warning about his future. Well, we oftentimes do this very thing. We're like, man, but did you know that one of the chief chief things that we pray for, for missionaries who work in the Middle East, because in the Middle East, the men of, of great spirituality and, and religious fervor, especially in Islam, they, they covet dreams, especially the ones of divine nature. One of the things we pray for amongst the missionaries that work there is that those who they're working with will have visions. And we oftentimes will hear stories of Muslims that have come to faith, and the chief person that they have dreamed about is Jesus. And you see in this moment where a Jewish man is getting a dream from, and an angel has come to him and is going to tell him a very specific story. And once again, it, just like in the moments before when Joseph is trying to be a just man, you might say to yourself, it's not dignified for me to be startled by what's happening in my slumber. But in this story, we see this thing unfolding. The angel says this to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. We come across this expression all the time, by the way. And this do not be afraid or fear not is present in the Bible so frequently that you would have to work very hard to avoid it if you didn't want to see it there. If you're a buffet believer today and you don't like the part where it says do not be afraid and you try to just erase that from the Bible, you're going to have over 350 entries to get rid of. 
That's how frequently it occurs. But you notice that whenever the Bible, when a messenger of God tells the audience, specifically this individual man, to not be afraid, he gives him a plan. Oftentimes, whenever somebody's in your life, and I'm oftentimes told this, that you can't just look at your spouse and say, calm down, it doesn't work. A little bit of advice for the guys in the room. Every woman in here kind of under her breath was like, that's right. If you're a husband in this room, listen to me now. If your spouse is worked up, do not look at her and say, calm down. That's my Christmas present to you. (laughs) Do with that what you will. Don't do it, please. Do not look at her and say, calm down. Take the high road and tell her you'll pray for her. (laughs) Be careful with that one too, guys. That's a stocking stuffer. We see the picture here that there's this moment when the angel tells him, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, first of all, if you thought it was uncomfortable to talk about the Holy Spirit in a Baptist church, imagine the angel that came to Joseph in his dream and is talking about the Holy Spirit to a Jewish man. And think about how how interrupting that might feel. Because the Spirit is typically reserved for prophets and in moments of creation and powerful things. And the Spirit of God is typically reserved for very sacerdotal moments. And it's like, your wife, the Holy Spirit, this story, Joseph would have been completely unhinged by these things. He would have thought, man, this charismatic movement is too much for my conservative blood. But that's exactly what the Bible says. It says, your wife is conceived of the Holy Spirit and she will bring forth a son. And here's what the whole why is answered right here. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Why did Jesus come? Why did he have to come? It was not the miracles and the volumes of wonderful teachings that he gave us, although we are grateful for them, that we are lavished upon by great gifts from Jesus because he teaches us better than any other teacher ever did. He gives us these wonderful things to hang our life on and instructs us how to behave on a daily basis. We have an entire New Testament written based on his life and teachings that impacted those who followed him, and we are grateful for this the many miracles that he executed in the course of his time upon this earth, we are grateful for those as they give us fuel by which we are encouraged to see more and more of the miraculous happening every single day all around us. We are are humbled by the reality that the divine would be in our midst and do these kinds of things. But this is not the chief reason that he came. The chief reason that he came was because he knew you had sin in your life. And he had to do something about it. He came to rescue you from it. To save you from your sin. 
But I am grateful beyond measure for this because I know that when he says this, this is a corporate statement, one of an entire audience being able to hear it. Oftentimes I think very personally of this story, but the picture is, is that it's not just for me, it's for everyone. And so I am grateful for this because of that I know that this offer extends to my children, to my parents, to my grandparents, to my great-grandchildren. So if the Lord so desires to bless me in this way, to your families as well and to those people on the street that are two and three houses down, to the neighbor you can't stand and the, and the family member that you can't get along with. It extends to every single person. And the picture here is that the why he comes is to save us from our sins. His chief reason from being here is to be at war with sin in such a way that he could rescue us from it because sin is trying to kill you at every turn. It is trying to rob you of your dignity that you think is making you a just person that keeps you glued to the floor when the invitation comes. It is trying to rob you of the salvation that waits for you at an invitation where Jesus wants to rescue you. And the problem is is that when we see it here, we are, are magnificently overwhelmed because it's not about all the other things that we make it about. For all the times that I've ever heard for all the things that I've ever heard about reasons why people are turned off by church or people are turned off by by church people or people are turned off by by the spiritual communities. I'm oftentimes, I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, let me just truncate this conversation down and say this. You don't need to like church people. You don't need to like church. But if you don't know Jesus, you will be condemned to a sinner's hell forever because the one thing he came to do was to save you from your sins. And if you let all the other stuff get in your way, you will for sure in your dignified and just and upright life stand upright as you walk right into hell. And the magnificent nature of this is right here that he's come to rescue us from from this. The picture here is powerful. Jesus' purpose was intentional. That's point number three. It wasn't accidental. He didn't back into it or stumble into the reality that, oh, by the way, now that I'm here, Father in heaven, when he prays, he says, now that I'm here, I recognize how lost they are. Can I please offer a sacrifice for their sins? No, it's quite the opposite. He says, no, I'm coming to offer a sacrifice for their sins. I will teach them. I will do miracles in their midst. I will develop real relationships. I will build community. I will show them all of this divine nature. But trust me, I'm going to the cross to save them from their sins. Here's a question you have to ask. The angel says this is why he's come, right? It says, for he will save his people from their sins. It's not that he might. It's not that he wants to. It's not that he could. It's that he will. He will do it. Doubt not whether or not it's powerful enough for you. It's powerful enough for you. We drew the line in the sand earlier We believe in the miraculous. We believe that we can be rescued from our sins. It goes on in verse 27. It says, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying... And before we get into that, I want you to see this picture here. There's a a magnificent nature of this story that's unfolding for us that we, we continue to see that this, this book, you get to this part, and Matthew is the first page of the New Testament, this very thin part compared to this very thick part. This whole part right here tells a story about everything that was promised about what Jesus would be and what he was coming to do. And this part here tells us how God fulfilled that part. 
And when we get to this part of the Bible, we begin to realize that there are stories in the Old Testament that point to this picture. Come back tonight for for church tonight. I'm going to dig right into one of those stories and talk about it. I'm excited about that. I hope you'll come back and join us. There'll be time for prayer. There'll be time for worship. And there'll be time for scripture just like this morning. We see this picture here. It says that all of this was done because God's plan is intentional and he fulfills his statements of promise. that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. I was asked last year because I think I spelled it with an E. There's an E and I, depending on whether you're looking at the Greek or whether you're looking at the Hebrew. The, um, the, the translation, I say the Hebrew, the Latin, the Greek and the Latin. There was a, it was a Latin translation. Anyway, Emmanuel comes up either as an E or an I. There's the same. I'm sure somebody would debate that with me. But the translation is always the same. God with us. God with us. You see, one of the neatest pieces to this story and the why of the question, why he is coming, is he's coming to save us from our sins. Your past sins, your present sins, your future sins, he's coming to rescue you from them. In order to do that, he's going to have to be near us with us. I always love the hymn, you know, he'll go with us all the way. You see this picture, the story of, of, of Jesus is, is that we enter into a relationship with him and he's with us when things are hard and he's with us when things are great. He's with us when things are, are, are meh. He's with us. God with us. In this story, literally, that he will be in their midst in person. In our story, that he will be with us in the role of his dynamic relationship through the Holy Spirit, that he is with us. Make no mistake about it, he is with us. No matter how alone you might feel, you are never alone. Jesus is with us. So that this might come to be true, God with us. Inviting him into your life is an opportunity to never, ever be alone. God with us. Verse 24, then Joseph being aroused from the sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. I mean, wow. If that is what it said about Adam and Eve and then they did what the Lord commanded them, the Bible would have been very short. But it says here in this moment in point number four, if you're taking notes, is our response to God's plan matters. Joseph being aroused from sleep. You see the intentionality in point number one unfolding in point number four because the the family of Jesus was intentional. You understand that God picked people that he knew would be ripe for the response to to be part of this story. If you're familiar with the other stories and the one that I'm covering on Wednesday night, by the way, a plug for Wednesday nights, come Wednesday night. I'm looking at Luke chapter one, a story that that we haven't haven't always studied very well, but there hasn't always been this knee jerk reaction of, obedience. And when Zacharias says to the angel, and in Brother Ben's paraphrase, say what? And some of you are doing say what right now. When I talk about this, that Jesus has come to save us from our sins, you're like, I didn't hear you right. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I did? Do you know what I'm dealing with? And the picture here is, is that when you look at this, you begin to realize that Joseph it just says that he does what he was commanded. It says he took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. 
And they called his name Jesus. So here's the question today as I draw this to an invitation and I bring it to an opportunity for you to respond. There are many things happening in the lives of those people that are gathered here today. And there are numerous opportunities for you to respond to numerous invitations that the scripture would offer you. But the first one and the chief one today is the reason why Jesus has come and that is, is that you have sin in your life that you need to give it to Jesus because he's come to save us from our sins. Hold them no longer. Don't stand in your pew and think that you can be just and that you could work your way to heaven and do enough right things that when God brings out the ledger and the measuring book of life that you will add up and be enough for him. You will never be enough for him without Jesus, but you will always be enough with his eyes looking upon you if you're covered by Jesus' sacrifice. So you can keep trying to stand there dignified. You can keep being concerned about what others might think. Or you can, with reckless abandon, obey God and realize that their opinion doesn't matter and your sin is too heavy for you to carry any longer. Would you stand with me today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, we come to you today realizing that in this story, the gospel is presented. It is not just at the cross that we see it, but we see it, as Barak said earlier, from the very beginning. We see it here expressly written that you have come to this world to save us from our sins. And we thank you for that. I beg you today, this morning, Father, that if there are those that are present that are here that wanting to be noble and right and righteous in the eyes of others, if they would forsake their concern of that this morning and come to you, that they would cry out to you and they would ask you to save them from their sins. Lord, that you would welcome them with open arms, that we would welcome them with open arms. I pray that we would obey today. Call upon the name of our Savior to be Jesus, to be with us, to save us from our sins. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.